you look in the mirror, do you like what you see? No matter how hard you try, you can't escape yourself. But there's more to our story than meets the eye. Well, hello, mountain friends. Happy Easter. As they say, He is risen. He's risen indeed. Anybody believe that? We're actually going to talk about that this weekend. There you go. And I hope you had a chance to join us from the Edgewood and Bel Air campus on that as well, because he's risen in Edgewood and Bel Air as well. You can probably notice up here right behind me, you probably think it's a little hard to miss. There's a mirror, right? Now, you probably, from where you're seated or on the screen where you are at Edgewood and Bel Air, you probably can't see your own reflection in there right now. But if you could see yourself in that mirror as you looked in there, um, would you like what you see? It's a little bit of a loaded question, except for that one lady who answered it out loud. <laughs> it's kind of meant to be rhetorical, but whatever. Would you, would, do, you, do, you like, do you like what you see? You know? It's not always pleasant when you actually have to see yourself for what you, what you really look like. You know, the, uh, a lot of the folks at Edgewood and Bel Air, when, when you all are watching me, a lot of times you see me on the screen. So I tell you guys, last weekend I was over at, I visited those campuses and, and was uh, hanging out with the folks at Edgewood and Bel Air. And every time I do, it happens the same way every time. They're, they're always so disappointed when they see me in real life. And they can't hide it. Like you come up to them and they're, they're like, oh... I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And so, like, sometimes I'll just ask, like, what? And they're like, oh, well, no. We just thought you were different. We, th- we just thought you were taller. And it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Happy Easter to you, too. But sometimes it can be unpleasant when you look at yourself in the mirror that way. It's like, it's like, oh, I just thought I... That's not how I like to think of myself. Especially if you lean in close, you see the lines and the hairs. And it's like, if you looked at the person right next to you, you're close enough, you can see their lines and hairs right now, see? That's what it's like when you're looking at the mirror. It's kind of unpleasant. Like that guy who is, like that guy who is uh, standing in front of the mirror. He's kind of depressed, standing there with his wife. You know, he's in his boxer shorts and his t-shirt, and he's just like, "Oh, look at me. I'm old. I'm fat. I'm ugly." It's like, man, honey, I could really use a word of encouragement right now. And she says, "Well, it appears your eyesight's pretty good." So, <laughs> pick me up there. <laughs> We don't always like what we see, do we? And the truth is, we're more than just what we see physically in the mirror. And sometimes what we don't like is not just the part about our physical body. Because there's, there's the real you and there's the real me. That's beyond the image that meets the eye, right? There's more to your story than just what you see when you look in the mirror and you see a, a body there, right? There, there, there's behind the makeup that you ladies caked on to come and the, and the neatly, you know, the hair combed and the, the neatly shaven faces. Behind all of that, right, there's a real you and there's a real me. And that's frankly where the real problem often lies, isn't it? With the real you and real me. And we spend just as much time and energy, don't we, trying to manage and make up the, the real you and the real me, who we really are, as we do the physical side of ourselves. 
And then that begs the question, you know, when we get talking about the real you and the real me, is there any part of you, who you really are down at the core, that you think maybe needs to change? Is there any part of you that think maybe should change? Is there any part of you that, that you think maybe if God had His way with you, it would change? Well, Michael Jackson seems to think that, that we can change, right? Remember the old song? He has that song, I, I, you know, I'm going to make a change. Remember that song? Can't, it, it starts like, for once in my life, it's going to feel real good. It's going to make a difference, going to make it right. You know that song? What's the name of it? Yeah, that's where I'm going to start. Go ahead and sing along with me. Go ahead. Come on, everybody. You know this song. You got You know this. Na 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 na. Ooh. Um, so you know, it, we're gonna make a change. Don't you wish it were that easy? You could just make a. You're just gonna. I'm gonna look in the man and the woman in the mirror. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna make a change. Just say, if it was that easy to change who we really are, I tell, I tell you what. If it was that easy to change, more cats would do what this cat did. Take take a look at this cat. Let's take a look. I used to be a cat. Every day the same. I'd be aloof to lunch, then coldly indifferent after. To me, everything was just, yeah. Then it hit me. Why be so cat? Why not be a bit more dog? I mean, look at the world today. It's amazing. Running, amazing. Chasing cars, amazing. Sticks, amazing. Carpe diem. It means grab the frisbee. Maybe we should all be a bit more dog. Be more dog. More dog. <laughs> Don't you just wish uh, making change was that easy? You just say, I'm going to be more dog. You know, I'm, going to be more, I'm just going to be more patient. That's it. Just make a change. I'm just going to stop being angry all the time. I, I'm, just, I'm just going to stop acting so selfish. I just, just be more dog. Just, you know, I'm not going to lie anymore. You know, don't you wish it was that easy? But the, th the thing is, it's not that easy, is it? And we get this feeling right away when we look that in the mirror that we can't change that man or woman in the mirror like, like that, like we wish we could. At least, I mean, we know how to lose a few pounds. We know how to, we know how to get a tummy tuck or uh, comb our hair or dump a girlfriend. We know how to make superficial changes in our lives. But then that makes us feel kind of powerful. But the, the truth is, we know that we lack power to make the kind of changes that are the real you and real me kind of changes. I can't make myself live forever. I can't make myself be the, a different kind of human being down deep at a substantive kind of core level. Those habits and those parts of my character, those deeply ingrained thought patterns that are there from I don't even know how long. Here's the deal. Easter, my friends, Easter is about change. 
future's about change. It's not only about the change that God brought about in Jesus when he, made, he changed him from dead to alive. Easter is about the change God wants to bring about in you and in me. It's about, it's about change. It so happens that Jesus is still alive and He's in the life change business. And it also so happens, as coincidence would have it, is that there's probably some things in your life that need to change. And so here you and Jesus can, can meet up this Easter weekend and see what might happen. That kind of change is possible for you. You know, the first... The first disciples, even those who believed in Jesus, when they saw him after the resurrection, they were totally freaked out. The Bible says that they were they were afraid, they were startled, they, they were they had doubts. It, it, it says that they were troubled about a lot of things, and maybe that's kind of how you came here this weekend. I bet some of us have all those same things going. Maybe you're freaked out by all this, oh Jesus is alive, I don't even know what to think of that, or maybe you have doubts. Or maybe your life is so troubled. There's so many things going on and so much stuff happening that you can't stop to even think about what all this is supposed to mean for you and change, change. I, I just hope whatever your deal is and however you came this weekend, I hope that you'll let yourself meet the living Jesus Christ today. Just let yourself meet Him. He's here. He's here for you. And the same God who raised up Jesus from the dead and changed Him from dead to alive wants to change some things in you. And it's probably time, isn't it? Because all of us, every single one of us has some things that you know some things that you know God would love to change and you, you need the help. You need to see it change too. So we're going to anchor ourselves to this, kind of one of my favorite texts. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Put it on the screen. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're, you're in Christ, you believe in Christ, you trust Christ, you follow Christ, the living Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And I tell you, when I hear that verse, it just makes my soul ache for that to happen in my life more and more. Because there are things in me that need to be done. I'm so done with them. And they need, they're old things that need to pass away so that the new can come. Same is true for you. There's stuff that needs to go, isn't there? It's time for some stuff to go and be part of the old that's gone so that a new thing that God wants to do in your life can happen. Let's say that verse again together. I'm going to invite you to say it. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but I'm going to take the word anyone out and put a blank there. You say your name there, okay? And then he or she as it's appropriate. Ready? Let's say it together. Therefore, if Ben is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Can you feel the longing rise up inside of you for that to be true? It speaks such a powerful truth. The greatest news I can tell you is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. He died on a cross. A lot of people saw him dead. And then he was raised up to life. A lot of people saw him alive again. 
And he came out of that grave, came, he looked in the mirror, and he was very much alive. He didn't do all that just to pay the penalty for sin, although he did. He didn't do all of that just to prove the power of God, although he did. He did it so he could make you brand new. And so he could make the whole world brand new. Jesus rose from the dead so you could too one day. But listen to me. That resurrection power we're talking about that you will have one day when you die if you're in Christ, that power of God, He means to infuse into your life now. Right now. To be an active, unleashed power to overcome the powers of darkness in your life so you can, so you can be more dog. So you can see the changes in your life that we can only pretend to make superficially. So we're going to look at that in the next few minutes. We're going to look at, we'll start with looking at Jesus because there's some things we can learn about Him by, by how, what, what the Father did in His own life that will help us see how change can happen in us as well. And to, to do this, I want to take us back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, we're, going to, we're going to end at the end, but we're going to start at the beginning. Luke chapter 3 reminds us that the first thing that happened in Jesus' ministry, he's about 30 years old, is that he gets baptized as a way of saying, okay, I'm starting out here. And Luke says, chapter 3, John the Baptist baptized him, rain. So it comes up out of the water, and it says there, where is that? Luke 3, 22. The heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, a, a powerful symbol. And then a voice from heaven, God the Father speaking, says, You are my Son whom I love, and I am fully pleased with you. You hear that? It's as if God the Father was saying in that moment, He wanted to drill down into the heart of Jesus so He would never forget it. You are my precious Son. And he would need to have that drilled down, wouldn't he? Because there would, be, there would be some discouraging times. There would be some challenging times. There'd be some difficult times. There'd be lots of times when people were telling him he's this or he's that. But he never forgot who he was. He knew he was the, the precious Son of God in whom he was pleased, the one who was loved. And that carried him through. I mean, right away. The first thing that happens in Jesus' ministry is he's out in the, he's out in the desert. He's in the wilderness. Right? And, and, and Satan shows up. He senses a moment of opportunity. The enemy, the spiritual enemy, shows up to try to seize the moment. Forty days out there. He's hungry. And, and you know, the, the Satan, Satan comes up. He's like, hey, you're hungry. I want you to turn these stones to bread. And Jesus says, man, I'll tell you, uh, Man doesn't live by bread alone. We're, we're hungry for a whole lot more than bread. A woman and a man is really hungry for God, and God's the one who already loves me, and, he, and, and I don't need that. And the second thing, the, the, the temptation was, you know, hey, bow down and be on my team, Satan says. Just, just come over to my side. And he says, no, I know whose team I'm on. I know who's on my team. The Father loves me. I'm not going to do that. And the third one was, hey, throw yourself down, Jesus, and have a big sort of uh, air show of angels come in and rescue you. It'll be great, and everyone will think you're impressive. And basically, Jesus just said, scram. And he did. But that was Satan's strategy, is to whisper lies. Say, what the Father said to you about his beloved Son is not true. To whisper lies. But he didn't have to fall for the lies because he recognized the voice of truth. He didn't, he didn't have to be beat down by the hate because he was so grounded in the love already, you see. He knew who he was. He didn't succumb to the temptations because he was supported by the strength of the Holy One. 
It's important for you and I to recognize that. Next time you're out there and you feel Satan poking his finger in your chest telling you lies about who you are, you've got to remember and feel the arms of the Father around you telling me, you are my precious beloved child. Don't you ever forget it. You know, out there in the wilderness, Jesus came through with flying colors. He didn't succumb to any of those temptations, but you and I, we don't exactly pass with flying colors, do we? We sometimes listen to those voices. He's got a lot better track record with us, doesn't he, Satan? And he does it the same way he did with Jesus. He whispers stuff to you in your ears ah, about who you really are, what you really like. Lies to get you to forget the voice of truth. The voice of truth is that you are created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that. And, and the same voice that God spoke over, over His Son is very similar to what He says about you and me, every one of us. You are my precious, beloved child, and I am pleased with you. God, God feels that way. We've sinned. All of us have sinned. You and I both. But God still loves us and says, You're my beloved son or daughter. And yet Satan keeps trying to lure us away and create separation between you and God. You know, it's separation. Anytime you get separated and led away down a different path, following pieces of candy like kids into the woods, and you think it's going to be great and you end up in some bad place. Anytime you get led away from God's will, God's heart, God's way, God's path, that separation, you know what being separating from God is? That's called hell. And, and, and temporarily it's called sin. And, and that's what happens to us. It happens to us the same way it happens to Jesus when we're out in the wilderness, when we're, temp when we're vulnerable, maybe right after you're baptized, maybe after a spiritual high, when you're full of self-pity, when you're at your low point. He comes in and He wants us to forget who we are. He's an identity thief. <laughs> Reminds me of that lady who, she's walking down the street to work every day, right? And she walks by this pet shop and the pet shop door is wide open and there's this parrot in there. And this parrot, this lady comes right by the front door of this pet shop and the parrot, right when the lady gets by, the parrot says, you're ugly. Like that. She kind of looks, she's a little bit offended by that, but she keeps walking. The next day she walks by the pet store. She's kind of a little bit edgy. She gets right by the front door of the pet shop and that parrot does the same thing. You're ugly. She's embarrassed and kind of, kind of incensed actually about that and kind of walks off in a huff. Third day, same thing happens. You're ugly. She's had it. She storms into that pet shop, puts her fist down on the counter to the owner. She says, that bird has been insulting me every day now. That bird tells me I'm ugly and I will not have it. And he apologizes profusely. He's like, I'm so sorry. That bird doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm so sorry. I'll talk to him. You'll it won't happen again. It won't happen again. I'm sorry. She kind of walks off in a huff. Next day, she walks by that same pet shop. She's a little apprehensive, I'll tell you. She slows down and glares at that bird and just looks at him. And he looks back at her and the bird says... You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know who you really are. Don't we all have that voice? You're ugly, but I don't even have to say it. We all have that voice. Every single one of us has that voice talking to us. The Bible calls our spiritual enemy a thief because he wants to steal your identity. You're not who you think you are in God. He's a liar. He whispers lies. He's an accuser. He accuses us of all kinds of stuff. 
And so what happens is we begin to look into this mirror where we see ourselves as we're created, this beloved child of God. And, and yet, you know what happens? Is we hear that voice, you know, and we remember it. And it goes right on to our image. Someone told us we're a loser, we believe it, it becomes part of who we are. It just marks us. Or, or you're always, you're always lusting the stuff that you don't think God sees. Or you're just so broken. You know, you're so unworthy. You don't deserve to be with someone. That's why you're alone. You're supposed to be alone. You know who you are. Don't, don't try to act like you're not. You are such a hypocrite going to church like that. Those people knew who you were. That's who you are. We begin to look in that mirror and it's, who we begin, it's what we begin to see. It starts to cover over the image of, of God in us. We lie and He says, you didn't just lie. That's who you are. You're a liar. You're so selfish. I mean, it's what you do all the time, through and through. It's who you are. You're a failure. And he points out all those failures so that when we try to see ourselves, it's, it's all we see. Our failure. Our brokenness. Our sin. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And we are. Often. Ashamed of ourselves. You know, there's this, this thing called the seven deadly sins. And you go through them just one after the other. And every one of them just busts our chops. Some of you know what they are. I mean, we already talked about lust. How about this one? Greed. Yeah, that's who you are. Because some of us are addicts. Yeah. We can't ever get enough. So we're hooked. And that's who you are. You're hooked. That's, that's all you'll ever be is someone who's stuck on pills or porn or booze or drugs. It's become such a big part of your life. Or it's greed because you always want more. It's never enough. You, you, your money's not enough. Your house is not enough. Your spouse is not enough. It's because Jesus is enough. And, and you know what? He isn't enough for you. And you go right down the list. You're lazy. It's not just the stuff. It's not just this stuff that you do. It's what you don't do. And what about that anger that just boils up inside of you and comes out? You don't even have control over it. It's got control of you. And what about things that have happened to you? You were abused or something and it's made you so bitter and broken. Now it's your story. And how about this one? Pride. Yeah, that one got Satan kicked out of heaven and it'll, get, it'll keep you from getting in. And we've all got it and God hates it. Pride. That's what it is. And we get to the place where we look in the mirror and we can't even see the version of us that God created in the first place because our story has so much more to it. What, what words are on your mirror? Hmm? these some different ones it's a lot more to our story isn't there than drift first meets the eye these are the sins that make us sick these are the lies that keep us stuck they're the whispers that pull every one of us away from the heart of God 
And we can get so buried underneath these things. There are certain days you look at me, I look at myself, and you can't even see anything of God in me. Because you just see that crap. We need some help, don't we? We all need some help. And unfortunately, what we often try to do is solve it ourselves. That's what we do. You know, we're going to take it into our own hands and, and, and we're going to kind of cover it over. So we don't, don't we? We try to mask our pain. We try to hide, uh, you know, our flaws. We try to bury our shame, don't we? One of the ways that we are really famous for this is we try to act real good. We even try to act real religious and, and try to do good works and go to church once in a while and all this kind of thing. We, we, we get to where we can look there in the mirror and we convince ourselves that we're looking past all that and it's not even there. We say, man, I look good. I feel good. I am good. This is the number one thing everybody says. I'm basically a good person. That's what we convince ourselves. I'm basically a good person. We tell ourselves, well, God must probably get raised on a curve. I've never murdered anybody, so I'm coming out ahead. I pay my taxes. I give, you know, to, to the United Way. I, I, I buy Girl Scout cookies. I help that old lady across the street. You know, I give to charity. I mean, if, you know, I, mean I go to Ravens games. I buy the ticket. That's, you know, whatever. <laughs> We tell ourselves, I'm basically a pretty good person. But the, the thing is, we have to remember what our stories really look like. And what our own hearts tell us. And what the Bible itself says is absolutely true. And that is that, yeah, you're created in the image of God. There's a beautiful you there. But it's so marred and covered over and buried with all this stuff. that The problem is, as Romans 3.23 says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so that practically every inch of our image is covered over with sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the big problem then with, I'm basically a pretty good person, what's the problem with that? Well, that's the problem with that. And the Bible goes even further. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. Think of that. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In the original Hebrew language, the word for filthy rags there is actually a very despicable word. I, I, I won't go into a lot of detail, but it's a lot stronger than it comes across. If you ask me privately, I'll tell you what, what it is. But basically, it's just the most gross, disgusting, putrid rag you can imagine. And all of your good works... All of the good things we try to do that we think are so pleasing to God and, and sort of just on the outside are, 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 are mopping up our mess. It would be like you coming up, climbing up to heaven and, and, and coming up to God and handing Him a vomit-soaked, blood-stained snot rag and saying, Here, God, you want that? And He's actually like, No, I don't. And the, notice the Bible doesn't say that your unrighteous acts are like filthy rags. We would kind of believe that. I mean, this, I, 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 am, I understand that this is pretty ugly. It doesn't say my unrighteous, it says my righteous acts. Your righteous acts before God are like a filthy rag. So you can see what a big problem this is. When, when, I try to, when I try to clean up my own act, I try to do the right stuff, I, I go to church a whole bunch or whatever, it's like I try to take it in my own hands. I'm just going to, well, I know. It, looks, it ends up looking like this. I just make it worse. 
I'm just going to whitewash everything over. Yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah, then no one will see her. Just cover up that anger. Yeah, okay, and if I go to church a little more, okay, here we go. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, boy, that's, I think it's coming along pretty good, actually. Yeah. And that's what you end up with. You make a bigger mess. You know what you call this? You know what you call this? You call that religion. If I just do a bunch of good stuff, I'm going to make God happy. The only problem with it is that it's all wrong. I mean, you can go to church every week if you want to. You can go, you can go to church five days a week like I do. And if you're not in Christ, it doesn't get you anywhere. I, I've, been, I've, been a pre, I've been a pastor for 27 years. You know what that gets me? That. A mess. Filthy rags. Jesus said one time in Matthew 7, He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like some people, like they talk like they're on a first-name basis with, with God. You know, they're all besties with Jesus and everything. You know? He says, I don't be fooled by that. Verse 22, he says, many are going to say to me on that day, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we, remember when we prophesied in your name? Remember when we drove out demons or performed all these big miracles in your name? In other words, we, remember when we did all these good works? Remember when we did all this stuff? And, and Jesus says, it's going to be a big surprise. He's going to say, yeah. You know, he talked about the people who were best at the religious game were called Pharisees in his day. They kept all the religious rules, but their hearts, many of them, were far from God. And inside he saw through it. He saw the whitewashed. He said, you know what you're? You're like a bunch of people who put whitewash all over a, a tomb that's inside filled with rotting dead men's bones. And it's not gonna, it doesn't give you any power to change who you are now and it's not going to bring you in, into my kingdom. Jesus said in verse 23, he says, I'm going to tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Evildoers, I went to church. Man, friends, we're stuck. Because the more religion and the more good things we try to do, the bigger mess we're just going to make of things. And the image of you that is really meant to be as God created you to be can get hid behind religious stuff worse than anything. You'll never see it again. Friends, here's, here's the good news. Here's the good news. This is, this is not about what we can do to help ourselves. It's about what Christ has already done. It's about what Jesus has already done. Listen to this. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. While God demonstrates His love for us. God loves you. Well, prove it. Well, He did. How did He do it? He demonstrated His love for us. Why? While we were still sinners. While we still had messed up mirrors. Christ died for you. He loved you that much. Wow. I still love you, he says. Resurrection is about change. It means you can be forgiven of all that sin. And that can change your eternity, but it can also bring power to change your life right now. Friends, the cross that Jesus died on, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That cross... It's not a little necklace. It's not a decoration. Friends, the cross is not a decoration. It's a declaration. It's, it's God declaring His love for you and for me. And the tomb is so important. They put Him in a tomb, but they couldn't keep Him there. He, he's like, that, he's like that, guy, that guy that wrote the song for the Hokey Pokey, you know? They, they couldn't keep Him in His casket either. They put His left leg in and put His left leg out. So. Hey, it's the same thing with Jesus. They put Him in the tomb. They couldn't keep Him there. He was gone. They showed up there to, to put flowers on his grave and the dude from heaven said, he's not here, he's risen. 
Because Jesus is alive again. Friends, and that brings about a huge change. And see, Easter is about God wanting to reclaim. You can't even see yourself. Easter is about God wanting to reclaim and redeem and restore you back to the original you that you're supposed to be. The resurrection, friends, is not about you, you know, cleaning up your mirror. It's about God destroying that mirror because the old is gone. And the new has come. And there you are. Look at that. That's the you that's meant to be. And all that other stuff is gone. It's gone. When God broke the seal of that tomb on that grave, He broke the mirror of all of the past sin and sorrow and shame and all of the need to act good and religious. And we can just come to Him now in faith. Because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And there you are. And you don't have to live like you were living before. And you never need to go back. It's a powerful and beautiful truth. And I hope you know it deep in your spirit. It's not something you achieve, friends. It's something you receive. So have you received Christ? Have you received Him? John 1.12 says it this way, to all, meaning every one of us, to anyone who has received Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Just like the Father said is true of you. You're a precious child of God. Well, if that image has been lost over the years because of what's happened to you or what you've done, Jesus died on the cross so you can get it back. And you can become a child of God again. That's what happened to my friend Tammy. And she, she wrote it up so beautifully. I want to read a couple paragraphs so you can just feel what could happen and needs to happen in each of our lives. She turned her life over to God. She said, I've been fighting an addiction with alcohol for the past 15 years. I come from a rough childhood of emotional abuse and abandonment. At 18 years old, I married the first guy that gave me those feelings of security I knew I was missing a lot, but I didn't know what. We were married 10 years, and we have a 16-year-old daughter, but then I was unhappy the whole time. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And then when we finally divorced, I was single for the first time and on my own, and that's when I started to drink. For the next 12 years, I had one bad event after another. I was always on the hunt for another man, and that obsession was as bad as the alcohol. Each one would abuse me. I'd try to be perfect and hold together and it didn't ever work. My drinking continued through all those years with two DUIs, three trips to jail, lost jobs, abusive men, two suicide attempts, two trips to rehab, and more. I always knew who God was and He was trying to get my attention through those low points, but nothing would keep me from the alcohol on my path of self-destruction. Can you see how messed up her mirror was? Tammy couldn't even see herself anymore when she looked in the mirror. And she couldn't do anything to change it. She says, in early 2013, my life started to change. 
my struggle had me to a point of exhaustion. I'd been in jail, the hospital, trying to date. I was in bad relationships. Ended a relationship and realized I had to stop drinking, but I couldn't. I wanted to change and couldn't. I knew I needed to get back to church, but I couldn't imagine going back to church as I knew it. I worked a second job at a restaurant in Fall Center, and every time I drove past Mountain, I saw that sign for the church and for Celebrate Recovery, and I wondered what it was, and finally one night she decided to go. She almost didn't, but then something made her change her mind. She turned in, and immediately she says, I was taken in. I was welcomed. I was loved. And then when George and the band started singing Amazing Grace, I fell completely in love with God, and I wanted to know more. It had such a huge impact on me. I couldn't wait to attend a regular service at the church, and she did, and she says, I said, this is what church should be like. I was baptized in July of last year after the Welcome to Mountain class. And get this, friends, she just celebrated my first one-year anniversary of being sober. Here's the best thing. Here's the best thing, she says, is that I have lost every obsession I ever had. Now, God doesn't do that for everybody, but he did it for Tammy. I lost all those obsessions. I have no desire for alcohol at all. It's never happened in 15 years. I have no desire to find a man. I just want to be single until God says it's my time. That's never been true of me since I was a little girl. And the pain and the anger and the guilt have been taken away and in its place is a peace that I cannot explain. She says, there's other parts of my life that are still hard. You know, I'm still struggling to pay my bills. I'm still, I, I, I still feel like, you know, I've got, I've got a toxic family and some, some grandmother I've got to take care of. And I, I've got a lot of problems. But she says, my life is brand new. I've gone through some hard times, but I've hung, I've clung to God and this church. And I have a peace that I cannot explain to others. And it actually annoys me that I cannot get everyone to come to God and feel like I do. And it's hard to say what I want to say, but I just want to say, God is amazing. You go, girl. Tammy, that's, that's why we do what we do right here. And that's why, Tammy, that's why Jesus came and went to the cross and got rid of all of that stuff so you could be brand new. And, he, and if He did it for Tammy, guess what? Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation too. But you've got to be in Christ You've got to quit trying to whitewash it and do it yourself. You've got to quit believing the lies of the whisperer. But your identity has been changed if you're in Christ. So folks, live like you're forgiven and free. Live like your eternity is intact with Jesus. And remember, He's alive. And He's here. And he's with you now. And He will walk with you arm in arm up to the mirror of your life and look there and see reflection of you. And now let's say it together with Jesus. Let's put it on the screen. You put your name in there. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if Ben is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Now live like it. Live like it. Let's pray. Join me in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for the work that you have done to set us free. Help us, Lord, to let the old things go so you can bring the new. You, you breathe life into the corpse of Jesus. And we ask you, God, breathe life into us. Help us overcome our shame, not by what we do, but why, why, by what you do by your grace and your goodness. 
as we saw it at the empty tomb. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.